Children may be dismissed to junior church at this time. And we're going to be going to Revelation 6 here in just a moment. Revelation 6 here in just a moment. Uh, And a few other passages as we talk about the theme of heaven. And we continue to talk about heaven. And today we talk about where are they now? And the present heaven versus the future heaven. The present heaven versus the future new heaven and new earth, which we also see in Scripture. Three highly decorated police officers die in a wild shootout with narcotics dealers and they go to heaven. God greets them and asks, when you are laid laid out in your casket and your fellow officers and family are mourning, are mourning your loss, what would you like to hear them say about you? The first police officer says, I would like to hear them say that I was the bravest Police officer, police officer on the force. The second police officer says, I would, I would like to hear that I was a terrific cop who died in the line of duty. The last police officer replies, I would like to hear them say, look, he's moving. Today, I want to continue to talk about the present heaven versus the future heaven and the eternal heaven. You know, I, I we think about the things we go through in this life, the trials, the tribulations, the struggles. Even on, our, even on our best day, we still have hardships, right? We still get up in the morning and we think oh, another, another day and we get to face a day and maybe we're excited and happy, but we still might be a little tired when we wake up. I don't know about you, but... I like that snooze button in the morning. It was cold. I really, really like that snooze button in the morning, which is kind of a double-edged sword because I don't like sleeping in a warm bedroom either. Heaven, all those burdens will be gone. It is our ultimate hope. Jesus gives us fullness of life now, complete life now, and eternal life later. Fullness of life now, complete life now, and eternal life later. John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said he has come to give us life and give it a fullness of life, give us fullness of life right now. I messed up in my paraphrase of that. John 14, 6, Jesus says, He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Him. Certainly, John 3, 16. You know, we have fullness of life now and eternal life later. We have fullness of life now because Jesus is with us. And then we've got eternal life later with Him in heaven. I've thought before of um, certain things and I've used to run a whole lot, and I still desire to run a whole lot, but my body does not cooperate as much anymore. So I was at the Pregnancy Help Center banquet a few months back, and someone shared with me how he's doing a different type of run in January. And I said, really interesting. A virtual run. Okay, I know about virtual runs. What's different about this one? Well, in this one, it's called the Badwater 267. And you're supposed to run 267 miles over the month of January, which is based off this Badwater run, which is based off of Badwater out west 
um, around and near the um, Death Valley area. I don't know who would want to run near the Death Valley. Obviously, people that like heat would do that. Well, instead of physically running around Death Valley in that area, they put together multiple runs, and you run in this virtual run in 267 miles. And I thought, that's a great challenge. That sounds like a really cool idea. And I thought about it and tried to push my running through December, and we had some good weather. And I, the, right in January 30th, uh, December 30th, I thought, I'm signing up. So January 1st, I thought, I'm going to do this. You have to run 8.62 miles per day. Now, I've ran seven days a week before, but back then it was four miles a day, and I lost a lot of weight, which I have since gained back because I like food quite a bit. So the week before last, I ran every day like eight, nine, 10, 12 miles. And by Friday, my knees were hurting all day long, and I thought, I can't do this. This was ridiculous. And, you know, it's just insane. But sometimes when I'm running into winter, I think about things. Like this morning, it was 18 degrees outside, so I went out and jogged three miles. And if it's above 20 degrees, I'm comfortable just wearing shorts. I don't need long pants if it's above 20 degrees because my legs are moving. That's the goal, right? And so, but I do wear layers up top. And sometimes, you know, I'm very layered. I got gloves on, I got a hat on, I got a long sleeve shirt on and a sweatshirt on. And just imagine how cool it would be if you could just start out running and you got all these layers, all these weights, you know, just the layers add up to weight, right? And you got all these layers on. And as you run, you go from like 10 degrees to 20 to 30 to 50 to 70 degrees and you just lose all those layers and you lose all the weight. So by the end of the run, you're... You got all that weight gone and you're just free. And you think about, I thought about that as an illustration of heaven because no matter what in this life, on this side of eternity, we do have those weights. We do have those burdens. And in heaven, we'll be able to run and not grow weary if you wanna do that. Maybe, maybe some of you wanna do other things, but you won't have those weights. You won't have those burdens. Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan preacher, often spoke of heaven, he said, it becomes us to spend this life only as a journey toward heaven to which we should subordinate all other concerns of life. Why should we labor for or set our hearts on anything else but that which is our proper end in true happiness? Our ultimate end in true happiness is looking forward to heaven, laboring towards heaven. And everything we do in this life is looking forward to that goal. Certainly, Jesus gives us fullness of life now. Don't forget that. Don't neglect that. I do not want, as we talk about this series on heaven, we talk about heaven, I do not want to only focus on heaven. Jesus gives us fullness of life now, complete life now. We live with Jesus, guided by the Holy Spirit now. Don't forget that. But remember our eternal hope. Remember our eternal hope. It's really difficult to talk about heaven without looking up a lot of passages. But for flow, I'm only going to really read. I'm going to reference other passages. It's also on my blog. You can pick up copies on the manuscript on your way out if you don't have it already. And you can look up those passages later. But, you know, to talk about heaven, we have to look at different passages from Genesis through Revelation. You know, we have to look at those passages. But I'm only going to read Revelation 6, 9 through 11. In Revelation 6, 9 through 11, we see a scene of martyrs interceding in heaven. And this is a scene in heaven, and we can draw some conclusions from it. Today, my theme is to teach on the present heaven versus the future heaven, with a goal to help us meditate on our eternal home. Preach and teach on present heaven versus the future heaven, with a goal to help us meditate on our eternal home. Now, 
this can get confusing. And so I want to summarize now. And I'm going to summarize some things later as well. And summarize, summarize, summarize again. But the point is that right now, in the certain time period we are in, in heavenly history, so to speak, in the heavenly realm, when we die, we go absent from the body, present with the Lord. We go right to be with the Lord in heaven. But it is not the new heaven and new earth yet. The new heaven and new earth is Revelation 21 and 22. We go, to a he- we go to heaven. It is heaven. But it's not the new Jerusalem. Not yet. That's still to come. So it is the present heaven. It's the present heaven. Eventually we'll have the new, the new heaven, new earth, the new Jerusalem, but not yet. And that's what I want to make clear today. It's the uh, temporary heaven. And so Revelation 6, 9 through 11 When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. This is a scene, and why do we go to this passage? We go to this passage because this passage is not in the new heaven and new earth. This passage is not in the new Jerusalem. This passage is in the present heaven. Let's look at the context for a moment. It's the last book of the Bible. This is Revelation. And there's a lot going on here. There are differing views of Revelation, but let's put this narrative, this passage of Revelation 6, in the context of the whole Bible. I want to put it in the context of the whole Bible. This is Revelation. This is the last book. Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Genesis would be the first book of the Bible, right? In Genesis 1 and 2, everything was created good. In Genesis 3, sin entered the world. Ever since sin entered the world, things have been fallen, depraved. Sin-filled, messed up. That's why we fight the struggles we fight. We go through. And that's the state we're left in. All throughout the Old Testament, even to today, we live in a fallen, a depraved world. We look at things. We're like, why are things going on? Why is this going on? All goes back to Genesis 3, when sin entered the world. However, Jesus came. He died on the cross for our sins and rose again. The Old Testament is all pointing forward to Jesus. It's all pointing forward to Jesus. It's all prophesying that the Messiah is going to come, that Jesus is going to come, that God's going to make everything right. And he did. But we still live in that fallen world, don't we? We call it the already but not yet. The already but not yet. We are already saved, right? If you're a Christian here, you are saved. You have the hope. You have Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit within you. you. You're already saved. You know where you're going. You know whom you believed in. We still live in a fallen world, don't we? Already, but not yet. Now, in Revelation 6, last book of the Bible, we see the time and the prophecies of the future consummation of all things. Already, but not yet, right now. We're already saved. We're looking forward to when God makes all things new, when God makes all things right. In Revelation, God is making all things right. In the book of Revelation, God is making all things right. God is bringing about that future consummation of all things. And and if you're here and you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have hope now, you have hope then. If you don't, there will be judgment. 
Look at Revelation 14. Look at different passages. Believe in Jesus now. He's our hope for now. He's our hope for all eternity. Don't wait till tomorrow. Revelation 6, which we just read, takes place during the tribulation period. And that is the period when God is pouring out judgment on all the world. If you want to know more about that, Mrs. Coy up here in the third row has a student in her class that is reading Revelation backwards and forwards, and I'm sure she could teach on it. <laughs> and her mom, Mrs. Mrs. Karen Olson Coy. Wendy has a student in her class that just loves Revelation. Um, this is a tribulation period. And since this is the tribulation period that we just read about in Revelation 6, 9 through 11, this is during the temporal heaven. This is during the intermediate heaven. The new heaven and new earth hasn't happened yet. What we read and what we just read in Revelation 6, 9 through 11, that's the same heaven we go to when we die. That's the same heaven that we go to until God makes all things new and brings about the new heaven and new earth. The tribulation period will eventually be followed by the millennial reign. The thousand year reign when, when, when Jesus reigns from Jerusalem here on earth. And then, the, and then eventually, Revelation 21 and 22, the new heaven and new earth. So there's a differentiation between the two heavens. They're both paradise. They're both heaven. In both places, there's no more sin or sickness or illness. I believe, actually, in, the, in, in, in this temporal heaven, this intermediate heaven, we also have real bodies, though that's harder to prove. We know in the new heaven and new earth, in the new Jerusalem, we have our resurrected bodies. We find in Scripture that the future heaven is not until the end of the Bible. In Revelation 21, I've referenced it. Revelation 21, we find the, the reference and the description to the future heaven. And that is the New Jerusalem. We find other references throughout the Bible to the New Jerusalem. And that is the eternal heaven. We also find through the Bible references to the millennial reign. That's in Revelation 20. It's also in the Old Testament, Isaiah 65. The millennial reign is not the new Jerusalem. It's a timeline. It's not to come yet. When we think of passages concerning the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of the body is going to happen in the new heaven and new earth. That's going to happen in, in the final consummation of all things. But we still go right to heaven when we die. And we're going to talk more about that. For the rest of this message, I want to draw on five Five encouraging applications about the current heaven. Five encouraging applications about this current heaven that as soon as we die, or as soon as your loved ones die, if they are in Christ, if we are in Christ, we go straight to this intermediate heaven. The same heaven in that description of the saints in Revelation 6, 9 through 11. The same heaven that Paul talked about that he went to in 2 Corinthians 12. The same heaven that Paul said, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We go right to heaven and what are five encouraging applications. And I'm gonna substantiate these applications from the passage we read a moment ago, Revelation 6, 9 through 11, as well as some other passages. Number one, we can be encouraged that we go straight to heaven when we die. We can be encouraged that when we die, we go straight to heaven. I said it last week, I'll say it again. Our last breath on this earth is our first breath in heaven. If we are in Christ, if we are in Jesus, you have eternal hope, forever hope, and you go right there. In, in, in a real way, you're body dies, but spiritually you never die. 
spiritually, as soon as that, your body takes that last breath, you are taken to heaven. We can be encouraged by that. Heaven is where God resides and we will go straight to heaven. We can know that we go to be with God because those saints are with God and they are interceding for others. If you look at that passage that I read, Revelation 6, 9 through 11, that's in the intermediate heaven. New heaven, new earth hasn't come yet. And these saints are with God in heaven. These are martyred saints who died during the tribulation period. They were martyred during the tribulation period and they are with God in heaven. They're given white robes and they're actually interceding as well. Notice that. They're interceding. They're saying, how long, O oh Lord? How long until you bring judgment? They're interceding for the martyrs on earth, saying, how long until you bring about the future consummation of all things? They are with God. We also know in Luke 23, 43, I gotta add some other scripture here. In Luke 23, 43, Jesus told the thief that that very day he would join Jesus in paradise. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and there's two thieves next to him. One of them repents. One of them repents. One of them says, we deserve to be here. Jesus doesn't deserve to be here. And Jesus says, I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. As soon as we die, we go to be with God in heaven. In 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul wrote about being absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In Philippians 1.23, Paul also wrote about departing and joining Jesus. You know what's interesting about that? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 writes about a time when he was taken up to heaven. He had been there, and guess what? He wanted to go back. He wanted to go back. He knew of how awesome heaven is. He wanted to go back. Now, this is interesting. Where is heaven? Is heaven up there? Is heaven over there? Is heaven over there? Scientists at Yale... Princeton and Stanford, among others, postulate that there are 10 unobservable dimensions in likely an infinite number of imperceptible universes. Heaven is where God resides. It's everywhere, but we can't see it. We can't touch it. We can't feel it. You know, we're in, we can't, not in this state, but as soon as we pass from this life, as soon as we take that last breath, we will be in heaven find that fascinating, fascinating. Heaven is in a realm that we are imperceptible to, but God is there. We see it happen in scripture. You can look at 2 Kings 6.17. 2 Kings 6.17. Elijah's servant, Elijah's servants, their eyes are open. Elijah, Elijah the prophet is surrounded by enemy forces, getting ready to capture him, getting ready to attack him. Elijah's, Elijah's servant is scared. And Elijah prays, Lord, Open his eyes that he may see. His eyes are opened and he sees the heavenly realm and he sees chariots of fire all around him. Couldn't see it before. Couldn't hear it. Couldn't understand it. But when God opened his eyes, that was going on. Number two, second application. We can be encouraged that we will have consciousness in the intermediate, the immediate heaven. When we pass from this life to the next, it's not soul sleep. Soul sleep is not biblical. You don't, you don't fall asleep until the new heaven and new earth. You don't do that. You have consciousness immediately in heaven. And there's a number of passages we, we can look at for that. Uh, we see in scripture that we will be conscious. If we simply think about this passage in Revelation that I wrote, read a moment ago, this passage, Revelation 6, 9 through 11, we see it. Look at it. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice. They are conscious. 
They're conscious. They're crying out to the Lord with a loud voice. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They were each given a white robe. They have consciousness. They have consciousness. We can be encouraged by that. We also, by the way, if you look up Luke 16, 19 through 31, which I'm gonna reference again in a bit, we have the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. It's the only parable in which Jesus gives a name to a person in the parable. And the rich man dies and Lazarus dies. And guess what? They both have consciousness. They both have consciousness. We can be encouraged, third application here. We can be, we can be encouraged that we will have contact with those who have gone before us. We have contact with those who have gone before us. If you look at that passage I read from Revelation 6, 9 through 11, they worship, but they're not one merged identity, are they? They all have their own voices. Uh, they all have their own voices as they cry out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, sovereign and true. You know, they're crying out to the Lord. They're each given white robes. They have, they have contact with those who have gone before them. If you look at that parable of the rich man and Lazarus, they recognized each other. They had contact. You know, the, the rich man who never cared about those in poverty in his life, he cries out to Father Abraham. Lazarus, he cries out to Father Abraham. They recognize those who have gone before them. They had contact with those who, have, who, had, who had gone before them as well. There, there is no reason to think, there is no reason to think that when people die, they are not reunited with their loved ones as well. The Bible gives every indication in these illustrations as well as many others, that when we die, we are reunited with our loved ones. Worshiping Jesus is exciting. Standing before his throne is going to be exciting. So we are reunited with our loved ones. We are also physically united with our Lord Jesus as well. Heaven will be fellowship. We see that indicated in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, like I already mentioned, Luke 16, 19 through 31. Paul desired heaven more than, more than earth, so it must be greater than we can think of. As I've already mentioned, 2 Corinthians 12, he had been to heaven. Now's a good time for me to also say that it seems that the immediate heaven is physical, not purely spiritual. It is physical, not purely spiritual. Last week, I referenced a term that Randy Alcorn coined called Christoplatonism. Christoplatonism. It mixed Greek philosophy from Plato with Christianity, and it robs Christianity of a significant part of its joy. Plato had taught that everything of the world is bad. Our bodies are bad. The physical realm is bad. And Christians ended up getting corrupted by that. That's not what the Bible teaches. The physical body is a good thing. A material world, the material creation is a good thing. God created and put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before sin corrupted things. I believe the Bible teaches in this passage in Revelation 6, 9 through 11, as well as the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, they give physical descriptions of the immediate heaven, physical descriptions. Now, by the way, it's beyond, it's indisputable. The new heaven and new earth, the final, the final realm of all things, when God restores everything, there is indisputable. We're going to have resurrected bodies. It's a new Jerusalem. All that stuff is physical. But the Bible also gives physical descriptions of this intermediate heaven that we go to right when we die. The rich man and Lazarus are depicted in Luke 16, 19 through 31 as having physical forms. 
The rich man had a tongue and a thirst that he wished to satisfy with water. Lazarus had a finger and there was water available to him in paradise into which he might dip his finger. Of course, these references may be entirely figurative, but they might also suggest the possession of transitional physical forms existing in a physical paradise to sustain and manifest human identity between death and resurrection. Now, granted, that's a parable. It's a parable, but it's the only parable Jesus gives a real name to. And it's also why Jesus isn't going to lead us astray in a parable either. And there are physical descriptions there as well. We can be encouraged, number fourth encouragement, that in heaven we will have a memory. We will have memory of life on earth. Otherwise, we would be a different person. If you look at the Luke 16, 19 through 31 passage, they had memory of their life on earth. The rich man and Lazarus recognized each other. They knew about their past. Abraham even mentioned the, the rich man's past. They had a memory. They had memory of their life on earth. But really, Scripture is most important and most supreme. But we can also just apply logic and reason to this. If you don't have memory you're basically ceasing to exist. If you don't have memory, you basically, if you do not have any memory whatsoever at all, you are a totally different person. No, the Bible describes us as having an ongoing eternal existence in the new heaven and new earth, as well as the intermediate heaven. We will have memory of this life on earth. Another passage that we can look at for that is 1 Samuel 28, 16 through 19. Saul, the king, wrongfully tries to bring up the spirit of the dead prophet Samuel. And Samuel remembered Saul and was alert to what was going on. Samuel remembered Saul and was even alert as to what was going on. Now, this is an interesting passage. And I feel like I should make a little disclaimer. Because Saul had gotten rid of all the witches, you know, and the witchcraft, the necromancy, which means contact with the dead. And yet this happened. And I think Samuel gave this message to Saul, not because of the witch, but because God was using Samuel to rebuke Saul. But it's still another teaching moment. We will have memory of our life on earth. We have memory. Now, that doesn't mean some... Uh, bad memories might kind of fade. It doesn't mean, you know, things like that. I actually think, though, we will have all of our complete memory. I think we have complete memory. But I think we are going to be so amazed by how awesome heaven is. And we're going to have such a fuller understanding of all things. Even our bad memories will not be bad anymore. They will not bring us tears anymore because we'll have a more complete understanding uh, of what God is doing. Fifth application here. We can be encouraged that it is likely our past family members and friends are interceding for us now. Now, this one is really interesting here, okay? In this passage, in Revelation 6, 9 through 11, the saints are interceding to God for the Christians facing persecution. They're interceding for God. Look at the passage. He says, you know, when you open the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? 
They're interceding for God. They're interceding to God. I'm sorry. They're interceding to God. Is it possible that our loved ones who have gone on before us are interceding to God for us? That doesn't mean they know what's going on in our life. They may or may not. But I guarantee that our loved ones who have gone on to heaven, that knew Jesus and are in heaven, I guarantee that when they're in heaven and they have conversations with the Lord Jesus, they're saying, oh, help my children, my grandchildren to follow Jesus. Help them to be saved. Interesting note here. The Bible says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And when we are in heaven, we are totally, completely, 100% sinless, righteous, uh, no more sin at all. So our intercession in heaven is going to be more powerful than our intercession now. That doesn't mean you should pray to your loved ones who are in heaven. No, you pray straight to Jesus. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 brings up Jesus, our great high priest. You go straight to Jesus. But we do see in this passage a description of people in heaven interceding for the persecuted church. That could be a special scenario or it could be more frequently that people are interceding to the Lord in heaven for their loved ones on earth. There's a woman, her name was Beatrix, Beatrice. I'm not even gonna say her last name because I'll mispronounce it, Beatrice. She decided to write out a resume for heaven as her obituary. Before she died, she wrote out a resume for heaven as her obituary. When she finally passed at age 94, the Winnipeg Free Press printed the resume in its entirety. It starts, Dear Lord, please accept my application for eternal life. My resume is as follows. She divided her obituary into sections, like a real resume. Objectives, references, training, experience, volunteer work, and hobbies. Beatrice gave a summary of her life history, saying she was born on October 22, 1927, to loving parents, Eugenie and Alfred. I have left my daughter Michelle, her husband Perry, my granddaughter Kelly, and many nieces and nephews on earth, as there are no openings for them in heaven just yet. That's what she wrote. She shared her memories, saying, Lord, you know that as a teacher, I never had any teacher's pets. Rather, I put my heart into teaching those with learning challenges or difficult family situations. It was here that I feel I did my best work. I also continued volunteer work, knitting scarves for underprivileged children. Subbing up her CV, she added, Lord, I hope that you will find that I have met my objectives and deserve, deserve a place in your heavenly home. You know where to find me to further discuss my qualifications. Sadly, this is how many good people plan to arrive in heaven. On the basis of good works and good intentions. But as scripture clearly says, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy 
Titus 3.5. We talk about heaven. I need to circle back. Are you confident that you will join the Lord in heaven? Are you confident that when your body dies, your spirit will immediately join the Lord in heaven? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? We cling to so many different things, don't we? We cling to so many things as this is our hope, this is our hope, that is our hope. Ultimately, our hope is in Jesus for this life now and for eternal life later. Ultimately, our hope is in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray. My dear friends and family here at Bethel Friends, that we do know you and that our hope is in you. Our hope is in you for now and for all eternity. Our hope is always in you. That by grace we are saved, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Not by works as anyone can boast. Our hope, Lord God, is not in our own righteousness, our own good actions. For your word caused, caused those filthy rags. Our hope is in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for our sins and you rose again. That you give us victory, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, where, O death, is the sting? You give us victory. Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here who needs to surrender to you, who has not surrendered to you, is not committed to you, they analyze their heart and they think, I've been hoping in the wrong thing. May today be the day where they place their hope in you, receiving you as a Lord and Savior, receiving you as treasure. And Lord God, may we all treasure our relationship with you. May we all desire you. May we all be satisfied in you. May you be our hope for now and for all eternity. And Lord God, I pray whether we made a confession of faith in you 50 years ago or two days ago or never, I pray that we are always confessing we are sinners in need of a savior, believing in you as the one and only savior, believing you died on the cross for our sins and rose again. May we trust in you and commit to you. Every day, may we get up and commit to you. Lord, I'm gonna serve you today. Help us to desire you. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.